Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the freaks come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome back into another episode of From the Pink Seats Podcast. I am Jacob Lane, your host, joined by Matt McGavick, and uh, we're excited to dive into Louisville football. The season is over. Things didn't go the way that we expected, uh, but there is still a lot to break down and to look at in our uh, first of four series looking into the uh, the season for Louisville that was and what is to come. Uh, before we get into that, Matt, welcome in. How was your Christmas, my friend? Christmas was good. It was a relatively low-key Christmas. Just had a small family gathering with my mom's. Just my mom, my stepdad, a couple of immediate family members. What about you, man? It was good. Very, very low-key. Uh, with uh, Christmas with a child is a lot of traveling in most years, going from, <laughs> from family to family, party to party. This year, we really got to take it easy, spend a lot of time at home, which is great because we are in the middle of potty training. So um, it was good. A lot of fun, a lot of family time. Um, just glad to have done it safely uh, and looking forward to, you know, uh, the new year. So uh, let's yeah, let's we, can, we can finally put this godforsaken year that is 2020 in the rearview mirror. I think that's what everyone should be grateful for. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, the, the changing of the guard has already happened. Louisville, Louisville basketball picked up the big win over Kentucky uh, and then just Louisville mania proceeded to happen everywhere in all sports at all times. Uh, hopefully we're recording this before the NFL playoffs or before week 17. Um, we're hoping that Lamar Jackson is just a win away from being in the NFL playoffs. And we'll have that to be able to talk about over the coming weeks. The Ravens, um, control their own destiny don't they I they think do that's what but the up. browns have to go up against mason rudolph and we saw how how mason rudolph did last year uh, hopefully he can avoid some helmets being swung his way this year but let's dive right into this matt so the season as we said at the top of the show didn't really go the way that we expected it to you know we've kind of alluded to and talked about this ad nauseum the last couple of weeks of just what expectations were for scott satterfield his second season as head coach coming off of eight wins bowl win over mississippi state um, to sit at four and seven, and this season is disappointing to say the least, um, but there is a lot of factors at play, and I'm really kind of excited to dive into this in a new segment that we're going to roll out um, for our postseason review called A Closer Look. We're just going to look at a few stats that kind of tell a deeper story about uh, Louisville season and where things kind of went off the rails. Uh, but Matt, before we dive into that, if I asked you I think I know the answer to this, but I asked you, <laughs> what was the single biggest impact of Louisville going four and seven? What would you say? I'm it's it's turnovers. I mean, I don't even have to explain. I mean, they they turned it over 24 times. I believe it was if they didn't lead FPS, it was in the top five. I mean, and, and like you said, it's it's easy to give a cop out answer. It's like, oh, Louisville sucked and went four and seven because of turnovers, which isn't necessarily wrong. I mean, absolutely turnovers when you, when you give the ball up more than you're taking it from the other team, you're you're not going to play winning football that way. I don't care how many yards you put up. I mean, Louisville saw it. I think they uh 
outgained their opponent in seven, six or seven of their losses this season. And they still ended up four seven because they, they just couldn't control the football. And while, like I said, the very quick, easy answer to tell someone like, Hey, why did Louisville football go four and seven in the year of our Lord, 2020? Well, turnovers, but there, like we're about to go into, there's a little bit of a deeper dive as to why turnover, not only why turnovers played such a role, but how they played such a role in just allowing the offense to put up empty yards. Exactly. And there are several games on this schedule that you can look at and very clearly say, had Louisville just not turned the football over in this situation, it's a win. And you look at a team like Wake Forest, uh, who's at four and four, they're going to play in a bowl game today against uh, Wisconsin, I believe. Um, And that's a Duke's Mayo Bowl, formerly the Belk Bowl. First of all, let me ask you this mayonnaise. What's your stance on mayonnaise? Trash trash all right tuna is the only acceptable place for mayonnaise in my opinion if you're putting mayonnaise well, on a sandwich there's something wrong with you that's disgusting I, I don't want to completely trash mayonnaise because i do love me some tartar sauce and go to a fish fry get you some tartar sure, sauce but you're not give dipping a little bit of straight a, mayonnaise man oh hell no i know disgusting. people that like to make bologna mayonnaise sandwiches and i just look at them and i think who hurt you those people belong to deserve to stay in 2020. If you're making bologna and mayonnaise <laughs> sandwiches, you deserve 2020. That's the year for you. Um, I've I've even forgotten what my question was at this point. Um, but back to <laughs> back to what I was saying. Yeah, Wake Forest. We're not even we're, a couple minutes in, and we're already going off. We're tying it into to mayonnaise <laughs> and the in the and the you know bowl games that nobody cares about. But my point was, Wake Forest is going to play in a bowl game this year, and you couldn't make the argument, in my opinion, that they're better than Louisville, despite the records. I know Wake Forest. You know they won four, they lost four, they don't have those three extra losses like Louisville did, but the difference between Wake Forest and Louisville is Wake Forest took care of the football. Louisville did not take care of the football. Uh, and Louisville could very easily be playing in a bowl game today or yesterday or this week or whenever, you know, because of uh, how much talent they had on their team and how well they played in spurts. You mentioned that they outgained their opponents in a lot of games. Their offense, um, when it was rolling, man, it was fun to watch. They were making plays. Uh, and they did that in a lot of games without Tutu Atwell and Javian Hawkins, which uh, we're going to dive into that. But let's, let's start at the top with our first stat uh, and a closer look. The offensive line, Matt, uh, you and I have talked about this so much. I've never talked about the offensive line more in my entire life than I have in this season. Um, and to be honest with you, there is a lot of improvement. There are a lot of good things to talk about with the offensive line. The first being th- they gave up less sacks. Even though it felt like Malik Cunningham got sacked every game five, six, seven times, Louisville actually was nine sacks improved this year. They gave up 39 last year with Mekhi Becton and Tyler Haycraft and Dwayne Ledford's first year. Second year, they go down to 30, only seven sacks combined between uh, Renato Brown and Adonis Boone. Um, the, the, the offensive line was better. We can we can agree on that in a lot of places, but right. where and they were they, not, and they had a really hot start uh, to the beginning of the year. Honestly, I think through the first two or three ga- uh, games of the season, you could make the argument that of all the units on the team, one of the better ones was the offensive line. Um, of course, then they went up to Pitt, and then just Pitt had their way, and then they they struggled against Georgia Tech, and then they they did kind of rebound towards the end. But th- there were overall in totality of the season, they they did improve vastly from last season. They did, but where they did not improve is in our first stat, which is stuff rate. If you're not familiar with stuff rate, this is a great stat from Football Outsiders that basically basically goes into explaining um, the number – let me pull this up real quick. Stuff rate, percentage of carries by running backs that are stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. Um, Scott Satterfield talked about field position and winning on first and second down numerous times throughout the year. Um, we, we heard more, more conversations with the fans about play calling than ever before. Um, but when you look at where Louisville really, really struggled, uh, it's dominating at the line of scrimmage. Uh, would you agree? 
I would 100% agree. And it, and it, was, it made uh, Mathers further frustrating at the amount of times that they just went, did not go away from their simple, predictable play calling. Like, I, I couldn't tell you the amount of times that they decided to run on first down, even, though, even when the opponent knew, the media knew, the fans knew, everyone knew if Louisville got a first down, more often than not, they were going to run like an inside zone play very next play. Exactly. So the the stuff rate for Louisville in 2020 was 23.7 percent. Matt, do you know where that might rank nationally? It doesn't, doesn't rank well. I can tell you that. I'm looking at that snap now, and I'm looking at the teams that were worse than that were worse than Louisville in that category, and it's uh, not exactly a company you want to be associated with. This, this is an realm. area where Louisville football is still in the Bobby Petrino era. They just have not caught up to dominating at the line of scrimmage. Now, last year they were much better. Uh, with Mackay Becton, because how could you not? He's a refrigerator. Like he's he is mauling anyone that comes near him. This year, they didn't have that guy that could just you could run behind them, and and it led to twenty three point seven percent of their plays being stuffed in the backfield. That ranked one hundred nineteenth nationally. When you talk about an offense that is predicated on uh, running the football and and uh, capitalizing on big plays, it's it's nearly impossible when on first and second down you're losing. Uh, you know two, three yards, or you're just, you're, you're even, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. You're going backwards. And then to ask Malik Cunningham, um, who for the most part is a one read quarterback, uh, does not do well under pressure. We're going to get into that a little bit more, uh, but you're asking him to do more throwing the football. And we clearly saw how that, how that played out. Louisville just was not as good moving the ball downfield on third downs as they needed to. And a lot of it was because of that, that run stuff rate. Louisville was stuffed 20, 23.7% of the time. I yeah, mean, that's, that, that's that, nearly a quarter of all of your run plays. And as much as Louisville loves to run the football, you might as well say it's more than a quarter. I mean, that that's just to give further compa- uh, context. These are the teams that are worse than Louisville at stuff rate in FBS this season. There's 121, 127 teams, pardon, in FBS that decide to play. There's normally 130, but I digress. These are the teams that are worse than Louisville. Kansas, that don't need to say any more there. Syracuse, UMass, Michigan State had a down year. They're, they're, they were worse than Louisville in stuff rate. Purdue had, uh, struggled a little bit. Baylor, Colorado State, and Utah. Those were the eight teams in FBS that were worse than Louisville at stuff rate. And just a couple of those, te- a couple of those teams all have to do is say Kansas football. And you know, right. That's, that's just a fact. I mean, the fact like us, like you and I both said earlier, you're not going to be able to do much. You're going to put up empty yards of offense. If a quarter of your run plays, if a quarter of your MO is just going nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that can explain a lot for Louisville football this year. It just really can. It's um, it, it, it makes you question what, the, you know, what the play calling decision was. It makes you question whether, the, you know, it's guys up front who aren't prepared or aren't, you know, really um, able to play at that level and kind of get the, um, the push that they need up front um, and not to single anybody out, but there were a couple of great stats released by David Hill. He's one of the best at putting out advanced metrics and stats. And when you look at them um, and you look at the blown block uh, percentages for Louisville and just some of the misses that they had um, in the run game. Now these percentages are really small. They're less than 2% of total snaps, but um, 
there were a lot of instances where blown blocks were the case. Louisville just didn't get to where they needed to get in time. Uh, and a lot of that came from the interior of the line. Louisville's going to graduate Cole Bentley. Um, Robbie Bell, we know, is coming back. We have not heard yet about Canada George. It's very unlikely he's going to come back for a seventh college football season. But there is very much going to be um, – there's going to be a need a lot of improvement this offseason in the middle of the field. And I, I wrote about that this week on the State of Louisville, stateoflouisville.com. And, Matt, I, I'm really encouraged by what I saw against Wake Forest when you had a couple of different guys in there and their ability to push. Their push was so different in that game that I had seen in any all year. Um, and I think that as the running game takes a step forward, obviously the quarterback situation is going to get better. Look, just go back to 2019 and look at how much different it was for Mikhail Cunningham or Malik Cunningham. Uh, any closing thoughts on the offensive line, the stuff rate, anything like that? So just just to summarize with all these advanced stats we've thrown out there, if 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 you guys are confused with all these stats we're throwing out, I mean, don't worry. I mean, Jacob and I were pretty, plenty confused when we were getting this episode together. But on the interior of the offensive line, it seemed that Louisville at times struggled to get the running game going. And that's problematic when a lot of your play calling on first down is a run is an inside zone run. We've, we saw that several times over the weekend. Now, to be fair, between Cole Bentley and Caleb Chandler, two of the interior offensive linemen, the blown run block percentage is 2%. In the grand scheme of things, that's successful. Right, it's, exactly. it's nothing. But with the, the, with the interior, the issue was giving um, – allowing def- uh, defensive linemen in the backfield for the running back. And then with the tackles, we had issues with giving up sacks. So when you culminate all those issues together, it makes them all look bad. I mean, Ledford said several times, uh, not only this season, but in the preseason, hey, we've only got six, maybe seven guys that we're comfortable with giving meaningful game time on any given any given Saturday. I mean – it, it sounds like a lot because you've got a, uh, one six man and you've got another filling in duties. And this year, last year was Adonis Boone. This year was Camden George. But when you're eight, nine, ten games into the season and you've and you're just getting worn down, beat down, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're hurt, you're beat up, and you've only got a seven man rotation for a five man starting unit. That's not the greatest depth in the world. And it doesn't, like we saw, the offensive line had a really good start. I think uh, after the first couple games of the, uh, against Western Kentucky and Miami, they were getting love from PFF, like as one of the top, like having not only top offensive lines in college, but top individual players. And then we see towards the ends, they're, they're just getting worn down because the, uh, the coaching staff, isn't at a place where they want to be with death on the offensive line. Now that'll get better with recruiting over time. And we've seen recently that that's already starting to get better with the staff bringing in Brian Hudson over from Virginia tech, beating out uh, Kentucky for him. They're addressing those needs, but for the, for the time being, it's something that needs to continue to get addressed, continue to be developed so that they can take some of these guys that are already in house and put them in a role where they're comfortable with seeing significant playing time. Yeah, I think that the the lack of depth last year is, is something that kind of falls on Louisville fans is like, well, well, why? Well, you've recruited so well over two years. Why can't these guys play? Think about it. We didn't see any of the offensive linemen from that 2019 class till Renato Brown this year. I know there was like three or four of them. And then the 2020 class had multiple guys. I mean, you had five, six, seven guys who could play. Uh, Trevor Reed, Kobe Baines, these guys never, these guys never saw the field. Um, and so I think fans want to know why that is. But and it, it, I and kind of building. Uh, sorry to cut you off for a thing. No, I was good. kind of um, whenever that last game came, where we where the um, 
the offense had what six player six starters out, especially when I think Cole Bentley was was out. A lot of people thought that the next center that was going to be available was I believe what was it a uh, Luke Kandra? It would have been probably Jackson Gregory. Jackson Gregory or Luke Kandra or someone would he would step in for one of those guys, and the, the replacement center for that game was Austin Collins. Right, four string center. But was that was that not COVID related? Didn't those guys those guys didn't even dress from what so I understand? I, I I think I either saw this on Twitter or I was told directly. I can't remember which one. But the issue with Cole Bentley, he did not test positive per se, but he was out for contact tracing because his fiance did. That is what okay. I heard or told. I I know that that's what happened. I can't remember where I heard it from though. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. And not to go down too far of a rabbit hole here, but the the point being, when you have 24 possessions that you have essentially gifted to the other team uh, in, in form of turnover, every snap, every play becomes that much more important. And when you are getting stuffed 23.7% of the time, it really explains why your offense uh, in terms of explosion and scoring just couldn't keep up. Let's move into the next stat. And we talked about this at the top of the show. Turnovers was obviously the number one narrative on this season of, of, of what you could point to and easily say that was the difference. That changed everything for Louisville. That's why they went from eight wins to four wins um the, the offensive turnover rate this is an interesting stat once again from football outsiders um and, and essentially what this is is this this is how many times you have the football versus how many times you've turned the football over or given it away louisville ranked 120th in the nation they were essentially turning the football over every two drives when you are shooting yourself in the foot that many times a game, I can go back and I can just look at so many of these games that Louisville lost, and I can say mistake here, mistake there, pick here, pick there. That's a fumble here. I mean, JV and Hawkins, 2-2 out. A lot of these were fluky plays. I get it. Um, but Louisville turned the football over far too much to be able to win. And the crazy thing is the season could have been significantly worse had Louisville's defense not played as well as they did. Imagine Louisville's pass defense, instead of being 20th in the country, being 80th in the country or 70th in the country. Think about how many more points they would have given up. A lot of these games where Louisville was competitive, um, they wouldn't have been able to be competitive had their defense not stepped up and play well. Uh, but the offensive turnover rate was a, a serious problem for Louisville this year. Oh, absolutely. And just to give further context as to how how bad the turnovers really uh played a factor into this we talked about offensive turn uh turnover rate which was 18.2 percent so 18.2 percent of all of louisville's drives in 2020 ended in a turnover of course we all know the numbers 24 that was the amount of turnovers they lost it was one of the worst in fbs now let's go to a stat that is offensive touchdown rate or otd thanks to football outsiders and shout out to them they they provided a lot of great in-depth stats now offensive turn uh touchdown rate is the percentage of offensive possessions that end up in a touchdown. Pretty simple. So Louisville was scoring a touchdown on 33.1% of their possessions. That was good for 39th in the country. Pretty good. Now, let's turn the clock back to last year. Louisville goes 8-5. and five. They got a Music City Bowl win. Coach Satterfield wins ACC Coach of the Year. The vibe is great around the country. And then... The offensive turnover rate that year was 67th in the nation. So Louisville was giving up the ball on 11.6% of their possessions, which isn't great, but it's not what it was this year. So essentially they got twice as bad, right? They, twice they, as, they essentially got twice as bad with coughing up the football on any given amount of possessions they had. Okay, so that's great. And how? And when you look at their record, they were twice as bad, right? They lost – Yeah. 
Yeah. So it, it, it's a perfect correlation. Like, I mean, you literally, Scott, and, Scott yeah, Satterfield so, could say, no, like, look at this. Look, look right here. Look, and, these stats will show you that we cut our wins in half because we got rid of the football twice as much as we did the year before. Right. And to further to ampl- uh, point out that turnovers were almost solely the problem here, other, of, other than stats like stuff rate and whatnot, their offensive touchdown rate last season, their season where they went eight and five, their season where they went to and won a bowl was 34.1%. Their offensive touchdown rate was 1% better. That was it. So for all intents and purposes, their offense, as far as going down the field and getting touchdowns, was almost nearly nearly as effective, was comparable to last season in terms of that. And all you had to do is turn over the ball nearly twice as much, and your win record gets cut in half. Yeah, and in a COVID year, I, I would be interesting. It would, this would obviously be a case study for another time, but I would be interested to see kind of like what the inflation rate is in turnovers in college football with a, with a pandemic year. I would be very much willing to bet that turnovers are up across the board in the country because there's just not as much time on the field. There's not as much time to, to practice. Um, but for Louisville, I just thought that a lot of the turnovers were avoidable. I mean, you think about it. Again, I go back to it. The 2-2 at well right. fumble. Uh, I think Scott Satterfield said, man, he's never done that in his life. He just dropped the football. And How many the, picks that just got bat, bat, you know, uh, bottled up? They, they were just up in the air. Boston College, there was two. Notre Dame had uh, – you know, I think Notre Dame had one. There was multiple times this season where Louisville just got unlucky. Like, let's yeah, just the, be real. The one that really sucks, I mean, not, not really in terms of unlucky, but just like a what perfectly encapsulates Louisville season. It was the Virginia game. They They – miraculously they were able to get the ball left uh they had the final possession they were driving down the field they got around midfield mikhail malik oh, I, I still struggle with that i'm sorry cunningham <laughs> he got to midfield he took the ball and ran he's getting dragged drugged down by five ten yards by a couple defenders and he's trying to just eke and claw at every yard you can get which is good but in that in, in that situation you want to try and get the get the get down get to the next play and not drain as much clock like because I, I can't remember how much time they had left in that situation but there was it was in the two minute or four minute offense so they were they the clock was against them and then then process going down we all know what happened Cunningham coughed up the ball Virginia gets the ball back game's ice game's over going back to Louisville with a loss it's it's stuff there there were plenty of turnovers where it was just dumb luck but then there were a few, I wish I had a stat on this, but this is purely anecdotal, and I know a lot of Louisville fans can vouch for me on this one. There were some turnovers where you just kind of sit back and were like, and just go, what the hell were you thinking? I know there is at least three or four uh, interceptions that Malik, uh, that Cunningham threw where I just kind of sat in the press box and thought, how did you not see that defender there? He's right there. And it goes back to the notion that, Cunningham is a little bit of a one-read quarterback. There, there, he's gotten better in some situations where he actually goes through his progressions and is able to survey the entire field and try and shake this um, notion that he is a one-read quarterback. But sometimes when he's pressured, so again, this isn't all completely on him. When he's pressured, he kind of devolves into a one-read quarterback and tries has to scramble for his life. That's not his own fault. But then there are sometimes where he, in situations where he was better off just throwing the ball away, he tries to force the ball. And there's just a defender there that's like, oh, cool, you're throwing this to me. I'll take this. Mine now. Stuff like that is completely correctable. And it's it's a little bit disappointing because 
by all intents and purposes, comparatively speaking, Louisville had probably more prep time than a lot of uh, Power 5 programs did because they were able to get in seven practices in the spring. They were one of the first ones to get back to uh, practicing. So I believe uh, the first 30 came back in July. Yeah, it would have been June, early July, right? Or some, something like yeah. that. But because there were several teams that couldn't get back till late July, there were several teams that couldn't even practice in the spring because by then the Rona hit. And you would think that Louisville had a leg up on the competition when purely just speaking about the amount of prep time and the amount of just amount of practice you have going into this season. So to see that this was such a recurring issue, given the amount of time you had to prepare comparatively speaking to other teams, that was disappointing to me. There's a lot of things that can be labeled just flat out disappointing. I mean, there's so many factors of, you know, why the offense was the way that they were and why they played really well. But then, you know, when you look at just some of the red flags, you see, you know, the offensive line, you see them struggling, you see, you know, wide receivers dropping passes, you see, you know, simple mistakes being made. Uh, that just cost Louisville in a big way. And one one thing I want to talk about with Malik Cunningham, I found this really interesting. I have read this now three different times. Uh, this is the first <laughs> scouting report on an NFL draft uh, for Malik Cunningham that I've seen um, by Alex Barber of of Primetime Sports Talk. I, I don't really know much about this site or about um, Alex Barber, but uh, he goes through and he gives number grades to Malik Cunningham across the board. Um, and it's really interesting. He gives him a four on decision-making. Um, and, and he really puts a lot of the blame on Scott Satterfield for that. Um, talking about how the offense is a one read offense. And because of that, when plays break down, it puts a lot of pressure on Malik Cunningham to make throws that he's not, that he's not making on normal basis. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is that just a, a lot of the time Cunningham throws the ball to, to players that aren't there. Uh, you know, they're running a different route. He throws it to a, maybe a, a linebacker or a corner that he doesn't see. It's simple things that can be, um, improved upon but this season it just cost Louisville I mean the Syracuse game I know they won that game but I, I can still think back to Malik's cutting Malik's first half he played so well and then he threw that that pass in the corner of the end zone it's just like what are you doing what are you doing who are you throwing that to there's no one there for you to try to hit um, so mm-hmm. I think that there's some simple things that they can they can clean up on technique this offseason that will help with that right and then not to put it completely on the players like 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 you said it's the, the coaching staff bears some blame too because everyone knows that Louisville's what kills me is that heading over the offseason, heading into the season, the offense just the offensive staff and Satterfield himself bragged about how much better this offense is, how much they've expanded the playbook, yada yada yada, all that, all that good stuff. And then throughout most of the season, not only was the play calling relatively vanilla, but it was predictable. I think the one game that really stands out where this was not the case was the Florida State game and Louisville pounded the Seminoles. It was, a, I think it was forty-eight to sixteen. And then after going forward after that game, I was like, okay, it looks like the offensive playbook is finally opened up. It looks like the play calling is not going to be as predictable. It looks like they're maybe not going to run the ball in first uh, every first down. And it, it, it devolved from there. And I, I don't know why it's pretty inexplicable. If you ask me if you have so much success offensively, if you mix it up, finally mix it up. And then just, it goes back to where it was. So, uh, He's absolutely right. Like some of this blame is on Satterfield. It's on the offensive play calling because they, it seemed like when it came to the passing attack, it's, it, it looked like they were just trying to force the ball to Tutu Atlow every time. And just they just casually forgot that, hey, you've got Des Fitzpatrick. Hey, you've got Brayton Smith, who proved himself in the, in the season opener by having 100 yards in the first quarter. 
You've got an all ACC caliber tight end and Marshawn Ford. Your guys, the, your backs out of the backfield can catch something and make and, and make something out of nothing because they just have that ability. You don't have to force the ball to Tutu Atwell every single play. He's good, but if you keep doing that, you're you're, you're limiting yourself. You're handcuffing yourself. It, it nothing's going to come come of it. Yeah, you're exactly right, and it's interesting. It's the last thing I want to talk about before we move to kind of our superlatives for the year. But uh, you know, to think about this and in a bigger picture of what could have been, um, I think if I told you before the season that Des Fitzpatrick cost, caught less passes, played in more games, um, and and nearly had uh, over 200 yards more than Tutu Atwell, I think you'd be shocked by that, would you not? Absolutely, because uh, no offense to Des, he's a phenomenal player, but when it comes to the passing sack. It's kind of predicated on Tutu, but then that's because of his ability and whatnot. But at this, in the same breath, Des Des can get his too. But if you had told me that in the in the preseason, I would have thought, what happened to Tutu? You're exactly right. It's it's interesting to see Des finish with almost 200 yards more than than Tutu Atwell on less receptions. Um, had multiple, but you know, only finished with three touchdowns compared to Tutu Atwell seven. But I think for the first seven games of the season, we will force fed Tutu Atwell. Let us just try any way and every way to get him the ball. They didn't do it weirdly enough with with a lot of slants over the middle of the field. I think it took until the Wake Forest game for them to put a, a quick three yard slant into the offense. To, to hell, hit it Des. took them about until halfway to the season to actually throw a slant. Period. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, there's just what they did with Tutu Atwell wasn't really creative. They put him in a lot of a lot of bad spots. I think. I, I think a lot of the throws that were picked off by opposing defenses were headed to the way most of the time to two, two, two I mean, I think I can think of three off the top of my head right now that went to that. One of them wasn't his fault. He was just the uh, defender was much bigger than him, but um, their, their offense became very predictable when they went to two, two at well. And, 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 I, make, I, and go, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was and making say, matters. I, dang it. Well, who's going to talk here? One of us has got to pick who's going to go. Just talk. I was, I was go going to say, and making matters worse. There were a couple of games where Tutu was very visibly like nursing an injury of some sort. Exactly. And he ended up having to miss the final couple of, one or two games of the season because of it and if if you're going to force feed the ball to someone you better damn sure make sure they have the physical ability to actually make the play (laughs) yeah it's there's just a lot of head scratching things like that with the play calling and you just wonder what the offensive could have been had they did what they did towards the end of the season with Des Fitzpatrick earlier um I I, to me I look at the stats and the offense just didn't have as many weapons this year as it did last year. And maybe I'm looking in a vacuum here. Um, I'm very one impressed by the way that they got JV and Hawkins in the run, in the passing game. I, first of all, I'll say that to have 126 yards on 16 receptions. I loved it. I talked all off season about how important getting the running game uh, or the running backs going in the passing game was going to be. But aside from that, Louisville had just four guys uh, with over 300 yards. Maybe that's a high number for, for receivers. I don't know, but uh, Marshawn Ford, only 25 catches, 309 yards. Braden Smith, he had a hundred of these yards in the first quarter of Western Kentucky, 27 receptions for 370 yards. And then Tutu Atwell, I mean, his production is more than cut in half. It's 600 or 625 yards, still caught seven touchdowns. I, I don't know next year moving forward. Um, what to think here. I, I've got to be honest with you. And we're going to talk about this in the last episode of the, the kind of the future, but 
I'm worried about the skill position at Louisville. Um, if you look at what Scott Satterfield had at App State, I know the talent is far past that, but his receivers were never a big part of his offenses. They just didn't have a lot of stats. And now that Dez and, and Tutu are moving uh, you know, out of the program and going towards the NFL, I just wonder if Louisville doesn't become that again or, or you know, become more like that. I, I know that they want to get the passing game involved, but when you just look at the way that it broke down this year, it felt like no matter what, they were going to run the football. Right. And I'm not, I, and we'll obviously have a further discussion in the, in, in the, in that later episode, but I'm not, as, I can see your concerns, but I'm not as worried. Yeah. We're losing two, two and Des, two very integral parts of the passing attack, but I think Braden Smith, if the coaching staff properly utilizes him, he can be a problem. Uh, Jalen Mitchell proved towards the end of the year that he can, he can be the guy, you know, about my recruiting crush on Travion Cooley. So I think in terms of the running game, they will be relatively fine, and it'll be even better if Maurice Berkeley decides to come back for another season. I, I think there there is going to be a little bit of a concern about the, the passing attack, both the the skill position players available, and if Malik can bounce back from this year. But I'm not as pessimistic as you on this subject. But again, we'll talk about that more later. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's move into the final part of the offensive uh, recap from the 2020 season. Um, and, and give out a few superlatives here. This isn't this isn't original or unique, and I think that a lot of fans are going to share um, you know similar thoughts on on where we stand with this. But let's start at the top. Offensive MVP. Who's the most valuable player for Louisville football this season? That God, I don't know. This is just this is such such a big debate. So so many. Oh, Javon Hawkins. I mean, right. uh, how how can you choose anyone else but Javon Hawkins? Throughout m- majority of the year. The offense had their their struggles with turning it over. I mean, Malik had had his problems with turning it over. I mean, they were trying to force the ball to Tutu a lot of the time. They weren't getting a lot of their wide receivers uh, other than Tutu involved. The only – let me backtrack. The, the offense as a whole had plenty of flashes of great moments. The only person who was consistently great throughout the his entire time this season was Javion Hawkins. And – he he it's it, i was thinking to myself heading into the season it will he be able to recreate his breakout year and obviously he didn't put up the stats he did last year because not only did we have less games but he opted out about two-thirds of the way through the season but he he was every bit of explosive and speedy if not more this year so uh, just to give context they louisville averaged 181 yards on the ground and averaged five yards per carry in the first seven games of the year i um, that's it's pretty. It's pretty good. It was top forty marks in all of FPS. So I mean, yes, Tutu is good. If if Malik had a better year, you could give a, make an argument for him. If if he, if he even sniffed how how good of he was last season, being second in the nation in uh, passing efficiency, maybe you could give an argument for him. But unquestionably, it was Javon Hawkins, if you ask me. And yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure. And not, I'm pretty sure you're going to say the same exact thing. <laughs> I am. And it's it's the argument of Ohio State being in the college football playoff. I know a lot of people want to say, well, he didn't play the full season. He opted out. So that weird rift between Louisville you know, and him going back and forth, that whole scenario just really went um, haywire really quickly. It was really weird. But um, when you look at, at Louisville just as a whole um, – it's very clear they're not the same team when he's on the field. You talk about that stuff rate. I would love to see what the stuff rate was in the first seven games versus the final four. Um, but I would have to believe that JVN overcame a lot of the struggles of the offensive line and was able to break out of what would have been probably significantly worse if you had somebody else back there early in the season. Um, he made a lot of plays. He was asked to carry the football a lot. I think he probably would have 
I know there was less games, but I think he would have been on pace or if not ahead of getting the, the, the uh, more carries than he did last year because Hassan Hall was dealing with injury and you just didn't have that proven second back behind him. Um, but but right. Javion Hawkins he had, was everything to this team. Yeah, he had turned into the proverbial bell cow because Hassan Hall had some fumbling issues and plus he was, he was struggling to stay healthy throughout the majority of the season. And God bless him because he had a little bit of the same issue before. And going from last year's off uh, preseason where we thought that Hassan Hall was going to be the starting back to where we are now. I, I, I can't help but feel for him because he was kind of buried beneath Javon Hawkins play and he's been dealing with a lot of injuries since then. So hopefully he can have a bounce back 2021. But I think just to put this uh, superlative to bed, Javon Hawkins was the offensive MVP. There's not really a bunch of, there's not really much debate outside of that. There's not. I think that the second person in line, if you're looking for a runner up would be Des Fitzpatrick. Um, right. Know. Again, I think he could have had over 1,200 yards had he gotten involved in the offense earlier than they did. I mean, his his game logs every year they just they're so frustrating because you look at um, you, it's you frustrating because games. they don't tell the whole story. Like just from an if if I'd have shown these box scores to someone who had who had not watched the game, they would have thought, oh, he didn't do too well, right? And that's not necessarily the case. That was because the 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 offense and the coaching staff didn't throw him bo- uh, any bones for a lot of these games. Right. And in a season like this where you, you know, you've got the potential to take a big step and make a big name for yourself um, in a season where your second best receiver, or, you know, one of your top receivers is trying to, and I apologize if that music is coming through in the background, ESPN does not let you do anything without their ads running, but you look at games <laughs> against Pittsburgh and he has one catch. I mean, come on. Come on, let like you've the, got to get him the football against the best defenses. And this is a guy who had to think about going to the NFL draft last season. He could have very easily bolted and he, he could have gotten drafted. He came right. back to exactly bur- further build on his draft stock and it, it, the stock took a hit through no fault of his own, if you ask me. I think that he made up for where his stock took a hit early in the season late. I think that that I mean, obviously, he's now got the Reese's um, senior bowl invite where I think he's going to blow up. That's Fitzpatrick's going to blow up. I um, hope he does. He I, I just, it. I just find it disappointing that when they're in your second season, we talked about again. I talked a lot about the running, the running backs being in the passing game. But what I talked about even more, uh, Presley got so tired of hearing it, he asked me to stop saying it. But I, I kept saying, if their offense is going to unlock itself for year two, Des Fitzpatrick has to be better. They have to get him the ball more. They did that late. They did not do that early. I think they could have won some games uh, had that been a little bit different. Pittsburgh being one of them, and um, it wasn't. And it wasn't just Des Fitzpatrick. I, I remember after that West Kentucky game, I thought, "Man, Brayton Smith's going to be a problem this year. He he could really put up some numbers." And after that West Kentucky game, he kind of fell off the map a little bit because the the offense wasn't like really utilizing him. Yeah, it, it, it's so many questions. Like, Right. Why wasn't he playing? It doesn't it it doesn't make any sense. Let's move on to the second one, though, not to cut you (laughs) off there. But for the sake of time, best newcomer, who is the best newcomer to this offense? Doesn't necessarily have to be a freshman. Uh, Could be a graduate transfer. If you I know you've got a a big crush on Roscoe Johnson. um, But if (laughs) who's your best newcomer in 2020? I know I know he's not a freshman, but he's a newcomer nonetheless. I think it's Braden Smith. You you could give you could make the argument that could be Jalen Mitchell, especially for that performance against Wake Forest, where he had, I believe, it was what was 160 uh, rushing yards on Senior Day. But I, I think of uh, it was Braden Smith one because and mostly because of uh, the flashes of potential that he had, especially in that West Kentucky game. I mean, he had 100 yards and a quarter in his debut for the most uh, most yards in a Louisville debut since Dion Branch did it. That's some pretty good company. Now I'd. I'm not sure how much better or worse he would have been had um, 
have the offense really utilized him, but based on what he's, uh, what I, based on the eye test, I think it was him. Now I, I could have easily said Jalen Mitchell, like I said, but I'm going to go with Smith. Yeah, I think Braden Smith is a good one. Um, not a lot of consistency with his season, whether that's on him or whether that's on the coaching staff. Uh, it's really hard for me to be sold on um, being the best newcomer when 90% of your yards or 80% of your yards come in the first game, in the first quarter, and then we don't see it again. Um, the math on that is terrible, I know. Please don't please don't mind. I suck at math, but point stands. For me, it's Jalen Mitchell. Uh, I think that at the end of the season, uh, he – Hassan Hall was going to be handed the running back position. Like this is your job now. Javian's gone. You were you were going to be the guy before he kind of got onto the scene. Now is your time to proclaim yourself as the running back. And lo and behold, here comes Jalen Mitchell. I predicted last year that he would be um, a big piece of the offense because he was just their guy. Like he was their first running back that they got con- committed. Typically, in a when you come with a new scheme, like you want to get your guys in as quickly in the spots that are most important. So I kind of expected him to get some carries late in the season. It never happened. Um, but this year when he was thrust into action against Virginia, seven for 76, averaged 10.9 yards per carry against a defense that's always been known to be uh, you know, pretty good against the run. Um, follows that up a week later, five days, six days later against Syracuse, going 11 for 46, gets his first touchdown. And that game, I remember when we came back and we talked about that game, there was a lot of third down conversions that he made in that game that were really important when Louisville was trying to get going. He caught, I remember he caught a third down conversion. Um, he ran, maybe it was like third and eight, third and nine. He got a big pickup on third down. That's when we really started to see the potential. Um, and then again, he scored against Boston College and then went for 20 for 168 against Wake in a game where we realized that this summer, Jalen Mitchell's top priority is getting on the treadmill. Like He's got to get more stamina because he had two touchdown runs that were like 60 and 70 yards where he got stopped short. Um, but those games, so I think that they firmly showed us that uh, it may not be his position moving forward, but he is a factor. He is going to be the f- a big factor in their offense in 2020, they're, 2021. They're going to mix in Trevion Cooley. They're going to they're going to get Hassan Hall more carries. But I don't think that in 2021 we're going to see one guy dominate the workload like we have with Javion Hawkins. And it's it is 100 percent because of the way that Jalen Mitchell played down the stretch of the season. I agree. Now, as much as the coaching staff, as much as uh, running backs coach Norman McKenzie wants to say that they like do running back by committee, I mean, Javon Hawkins is going to get the majority of the carries. I mean, and that's through no fault of anyone else's. He He's just that good. But I think heading into next season, Wolfville will truly be running back by committee just because there's, there's not one st- guy that stands out among everyone else if you could if it could be one guy it could be Hassan Hall but given his injury history there's going to be some other guys are going to need to step up like a Jalen Mitchell like a Trayvon Cooley if Maurice Berkeley wants to come back then him too I, I really hope he does because you I've, as I've mentioned many times on this podcast I there's something about his running style that I just love he's physical he's fast and uh, Maurice, if you're listening to this, I mean, think about it. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt is the leader of the the Maurice Berkeley fan club over here. Matt has a thing for dude with that can just had thick thighs, big muscles that can just power their way through. Matt knows that the that the the burly men have to stick together in life. That's just run the, the damn ball, man. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, your favorite moment from the offense of this season? I'll start on this one. Um, God, people are going to be so tired of me talking about Des Fitzpatrick. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, his the senior day performance, man, everything from just the way that he played to just leaving it all out on the field where physically like he had to be carried off the field because he is just trying to soak in every ounce of what's left. Um, you know, I think that that game in a vacuum, not the biggest game in the world. Um, you know, he played really well. Louisville won. A big part of that was because of his performance. But 
Um, when you just look at his career in totality and you look at how he got started as a freshman, I mean, from day one, he was their best receiver with Lamar Jackson and it was a huge part of Lamar being able to elevate his, st- his stats as a passer um, to 2018, just the, the falling apart. They couldn't even get him the football. They could not even get him the football um, to getting a new coach, sticking it out in 2019 to 2020, be, you know, when the NFL says you need more production, he went out and he got more production. Um, that game was just the cherry on top. And I, I really hope it's what propels him into getting drafted in a good spot where he can have a great career. Cause I think that that's going to happen. I really believe he'll be a better NFL player than he was college player. No, I a hundred percent agree, especially if he has a really good uh, senior bowl uh, output, but um, I think my favorite moment, I, it's, it's cheating a little bit because it's not necessarily tied to the offense. It's more of like a team as a whole moment. I, it was just getting, to the Western Kentucky game, just being able to being able to kick off because I know throughout the offseason there was so much uncertainty, so many questions as if football would even get played, not even get through the whole season. Like, I mean, we saw how several teams started late, several teams had to pack it up early. But during the, like the thick of July, like there was one point where we it got to, okay, I'm fairly confident. And then two weeks later, I was sitting here thinking, I'm not sure Louisville can even get through the whole season if they can even start the season. And it didn't really dawn on me until and not I was walking up to the stadium. I was like, okay, just I've done this. I've done this before. I walked up to Cardinal Stadium many times, went up the elevator, went into the press box, and finally sat down and let it all soak in that Louisville and all of their efforts by the players, by the staff, by the support staff, by Matt Summers and his crew that they made it they were able to weather the storm that was 2020 they were able to overcome all of the COVID-19 protocols and obstacles and follow those protocols excuse me and they were able to make the 2020 football season for what it was happen and I think that was the top moment for me just the simple fact that they even got to the starting line not the finish line but the fact that they even got to the starting line after after at one point it might it it would have been on they might not have played right exactly and they could have folded their season when they you know when they had that outbreak they could have decided to not play against virginia tech um with the what with what the three defensive linemen that they had left and then uh the same at the end of the season with wake forest i mean wake forest had been uh they hadn't played football in four weeks i mean louisville could have easily said we're just going to call it we're going to wrap it up we're just going to let the season be done um i would have loved to have seen them play in a bowl game but i understood why why again the players just want to go home they just want to be done and they the Kudos to the staff for for making it all the way to that point, for keeping the players interested, even when the season was falling apart. But a special shout out to Matt Summers, as, as Matt said, and then also to the entire training staff who um, 12 months ago, I bet would have never thought that this would have been their life, having to, to oversee um, corona or COVID testing every couple of days and, and being able to um, learn about this virus so quickly and, and be able to follow policies to a T like they did. So major shout out to them. Give Summers um, a race, seriously. he He's earned it. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this biggest surprise of the season from the offense, whether it's a moment, a game, a player, is there a surprise that just kind of like you, when you sit back and you look at it, you're just like, man, I can't believe that happened. I think the biggest surprise, I, the, the, for me, it's how the script flipped in terms of who was the best side of the football, because the storyline heading into the season is that Malik was the second most accurate or most efficient quarterback in the nation behind the number one overall pick and Heisman winner good company and then you were returning your thousand yard rushing and receiving duo in Javon hawkins and and uh tutu atwell there were no questions on if the offense was going to be able to get theirs the question was 
is the defense going to be able to hold their weight and put them in positions to where Louisville is not going to lose games. And then we're sitting here on December, was it 30th? And if you ask anyone who's watched Louisville football this season, ask what was better, the offense or defense, a lot of people are going to say the defense just because of their, yeah, they had a rough about third start to the season. The, the, the Georgia Tech game was one of the worst defensive performances you'll ever see, especially that utter collapse in the fourth quarter. But after that, they were lights out. They held Notre Dame, a college football playoff team, to just 12 points in their own house. They finished top 20, top 15 in the nation in pass defense, which I would have never thought that would happen. And Keetro Clark is the next Louisville star. It's it's a crime that he was not a first-team All-ACC guy. Yeah, I, preach I, it. I, preach that louder, I, I, I understand because – it, it's clear that on any given day, he was he was the best defender on there. No offense to C.J. Every, no offense to Rajay Burns, no no offense to anyone else on the defense. Keetro Clark was the defensive MVP, and I know that I'm already giving away my defensive MVP pick an episode early. But it's I mean, so funny. I was going to say the same thing. Like if you look at the, just the MVP of the of the entire team, not just for one unit or the, the other, it's to me it's co MVPs. It's C.J. Avery and it's Keetro Clark. Like those two guys changed. Right everything for this team. Uh, and I said it earlier, like imagine what this, what this, what the record and what things would have looked like had those guys not played it the way that they did. Um, so I'm right there with you. The fact that uh, we're talking about so many games where the, I mean, Notre Dame is a great example. The defense just kept giving the offense like here, you guys go do this, like win. And we talked about this with Gigi of like, how does that look? How does that feel to you seeing like the defense be the guys that now have to go out and win the game versus last year, the offense was like, can y'all just get a stop? Like, can y'all just slow it down so we can get back out there and we can take it, you know, advantage and we can go win this game because of what we do. Um, that's great. Great storyline. And I think that it, it's one of the biggest reasons for optimism head, heading into 2021. Um, for me, the biggest surprise was Malik Cunningham. I just, everything on paper, everything on film, everything statistically pointed towards him taking the next step to becoming a great Louisville football quarterback. And he did overall his season. If you, if you say it stands the turnovers, he, he, he was better. I mean, he, he got better as a passer. Um, he, he got better as a runner. He got better as a leader. Um, he wasn't injured. He was out on the field almost the entire season. Uh, I and, thought that you saw some maturity he, in him. I really and the did. times that he was injured, he was playing through it. Cause I know it was the, either the second or third last game of the season. He was very obviously nursing a wrist injury right. and he played right through it. He could have easily uh, told uh, Satterfield, Hey, put in Conley for a couple series. And I think at one point he ended up having to play Conley for one series because he absolutely could not do anything with that wrist. Exactly. And then once he was even remotely serviceable, uh, Cunningham's like, all right, put me back in. So kudos to him. He, he, he's got some real toughness about him that after this season, I mean, the amount of times he was sacked, He's kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. And look at you. He improved his completed pr- completion percentage. Um, he improved, uh, you know, in total yardage. Um, the averages dipped down a little bit. The, the passing offense became a little bit simpler. Um, there wasn't as many explosive plays down the field, but still 20 touchdowns is not a bad number for a guy who is just in his second year. The 12 interceptions obviously really stands out as being the detriment there. And I just, I just can't help but wonder Maybe maybe if some of the, the turnovers hadn't happened against Miami or maybe if the, some of the turnovers hadn't happened in Bo- the Boston College game, what are we talking about his season? Are we talking about him being a guy that's capable of going to the NFL? I think probably. I think that that would be more I of a conversation. So. Um, Not only he, that, but if the turnover margin was zero, 
not not if if the if Malik kind of takes some of those throws and throws them away and not tries to force them, and if if defense, God bless them, can actually squeeze some of those balls to get some of those right. countless right. dropped interceptions, you could very well make the argument that Louisville is sitting at eight and three, seven and four, and not four and seven because we. I mentioned earlier, Louisville in seven of their losses, they outgained their opponent in six of them. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the formula for a win is there. It's just that when you throw a wrench as big as the turnovers into this equation, it's not winning football, no matter how many yards you put up. It's not. I, I I can go back. That's a great point. I can go back to the Notre Dame game in 2019. After that that loss, that 35-17, I think was the score. Scott Satterfield said, we played winning football. We played winning football. This year, uh, on paper, it, Louisville was better offensively, but they didn't play winning football. They turned the no. football over, um, and they were reckless at times with with just some of the way that they played. And it obviously led to a four and seven record. So that that's going to wrap up the offensive edition of the uh, from the Pink Seats uh, postseason recap. Um, I, to me, it's really interesting as a podcaster and somebody who writes about the team. Um, I, I find out a lot about the team when I do stuff like this more so than when I watch football games. Um, and to me, these these statistics that we kind of walked through today, I hope that the audience will feel the same way. They they give me a little bit of better understanding of why the record was that it is. I don't think you can look at this record at face value this year. I just don't. Um, that's not an excuse. That's not a Louisville fan trying to be a Louisville fan. Um, uh, God bless his heart, but DJ Banami would tell me that's loser talk. That's loser talk right there. Um, but there's a lot of things that that went off uh, off the beaten path of uh, that are just they're just interesting to learn. And um, it was great to kind of dive through those with you, Matt. As always, be sure to check out stateoflouisville.com. Um, be sure to give us both a follow uh, on Twitter at General Wasp at Jacob Lane 08. Uh, and Matt, where can they they find your work? You've been absolutely killing it uh, for Sports Illustrated, but please drop that URL so people can check your site out as well. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. But you, you can find me online um, at si.com slash college slash Louisville. You can find the Twitter account at Louisville on SI, all one word. You can find me on personal on Twitter, like you said, at General Wasp. As we said, we will be back soon for the second part of this where we're going to look specifically at defense. As always, keep listening and keep subscribing. and hope you'll share with your friends, and we'll talk to you soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.